Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Putin is killing his own. He's killing his family. I'm convinced that such a natural and necessary cleansing of society will only strengthen our country. The administration is now trying to say these are Putin's price hikes. This is all on Joe Biden. (laughs) It's enough to make your head spin. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It's News and Views for a Friday. So earlier today, uh, Putin appeared at a huge flag-waving rally in Moscow, praising his country's military and the invasion of Ukraine still ongoing. Police claim more than 200,000 people were in and around a stadium for the rally and a concert marking the 8th anniversary of Russia's annex, uh, annexation of Crimea, the peninsula south of the Ukraine, which was, was part of Ukraine. The event included uh, some singers. Uh, anyway, uh, the propaganda now in Russia, uh, it sounds like the Democrats, right? Uh, if, if they can't get anything going, they have a big rally and they have a concert and it's a big rah-rah session. 200,000 people. I mean, first of all, what stadium holds 200,000 people? But, uh, yeah, that sounds like propaganda. Uh, News and Observer is reporting North Carolina's gerrymandering lawsuit is still going on. If you remember, the Republicans in the legislature made an appeal to the United States Supreme Court concerning the congressional maps that uh, were denied by the North Carolina Supreme Court. And they had four of the Supreme Court justices indicated they thought this was a good idea. Kavanaugh was the only one that said, yeah, but we don't have time. If, if we hear this case now, it's going to affect the elections. They need to go ahead and do their elections. But nonetheless, even though it wasn't heard then, and we talked about it at the time, would the Republicans go forward with a lawsuit to the Supreme Court so that next time down the road, we can't have a situation where a anyone other than the North Carolina or the state legislature, as it is written out in the federal constitution and the state constitution, only they could draw congressional maps. So yesterday, Republican leaders asked the Supreme Court to consider their argument for the state legislative doctrine. It's a way to argue that state courts shouldn't be able to issue rulings that affect federal elections. And it's not just about redistricting, even if That's the main reason before the court it would receive national attention and affect states across the country. Possibly. And now, again, this would be for federal elections, but it would be interesting to see what kind of, uh, assuming they take it up. And again, I would think they would take it up based on the fact that you had, it's a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. And again, you had Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh all. Now, the first three wanted to hear it now. Brett Kavanaugh had sympathies for hearing the case now that would have affected this year's election. But uh, again, he was the one that said, nah, let's, let's hold off on it. 
But you need four Supreme Court justices to come together and agree to hear a case for it to reach the Supreme Court. It looks as if that would be the case. It looks as if they would have four votes to hear the case. The, uh, it, uh, it's going to be interesting how it falls out. There have been a lot of comments come out. Um, uh, Tim Moore has come out and said, yeah, now is the time. We need to get this settled once and for all. We need to codify. The thing about it is, is, okay, we need to codify what the law already says. It's in the state constitution and it's in the federal constitution, yet we have to take it to the Supreme Court. And and if, if it's already in the law, who's to say that if the Supreme Court rules that the liberals will listen and follow? There really needs to be, whatever happens, there needs to be ramifications to those people who ignore existing law. How can they break the law and get away with it? How can they break the law and it allow to affect elections and the outcome of elections and they get away with it without any penalty? That's the frustrating question. Tim Moore says it's time to settle the election clause question once and for all. The court voted 6-3 to deny legislature initials attempt to hear the case for this year's election. Uh, It appears that the legislature won't have any trouble getting the four votes they need to get the court to hear the case. The bigger question is whether those four, if they do end up supporting the legislature's argument, if they can get a fifth justice on board for a majority. Now, I think they will be able to get it. There, there are other conservatives on the court that have, uh, embr- they would consider themselves Federalist, which means that they believe the Constitution means what it says and says what it means. So we'll, uh, we'll continue to follow this. Now, if this happens, it's probably not going to be this year. It's probably going to be sometime in the next uh, Supreme Court session. So you, you would hear the oral argument sometime late this year and you or maybe early next year, and you wouldn't have a uh, decision or an opinion released until the following year. Daily Wire is reporting on Thursday night, narcissist and camera hog Dr. Anthony Fauci emerged from his cocoon, his relative silence, to insist that the new variant of COVID-19 well, it just means we might have to put our masks back on. This is cut to Clark. This is Anthony Fauci from last night. Well, first of all, what happens with us is that we generally follow what goes on in the UK by about two to three weeks. So we better pay close attention to what's going on there. For example, their ICU bed usage, their intensive care unit bed usage is not up. And the overall mortality, the overall all-cause mortality is actually down. So it's a very interesting situation where the cases are going up, but it does not at this point in time appear to be any degree of severity. So when you ask me, do we worry about it? Well, we certainly are concerned because I would not be surprised, Jake, if that in the next few weeks, given the fact that we've begun to open up and we have an increase in the BA2 variant that we'll be seeing an increase in cases. Hopefully, that's not associated with an increase in hospitalization and severe disease. Remember, the CDC said that pulling back 
on the metrics and letting there be more openness with regard to masking, we need to be ready, if necessary, to pivot back and maybe pull in a little bit more of the masking if, in fact, we start getting a surge. So basically what he's saying is, okay, the new COVID variant, it's no big deal. They have cases going up in Great Britain, but there's no hospitalizations. There's no mortality. There's no, it's not really even severe. But, but we might have to ask you to put the mask back on. That is the big red flag. By the way, he went on to say, now, as you, what goes hand in hand with putting the mask back on is making sure you're vaccinated. The one thing that's important, he said, is, and this is the wild card, there is waning immunity. We've got to make sure that those people who have been vaccinated get boosted. Only about 50% of the people who are eligible to be vaccinated have gotten their boost. You know, I just, I mean, this is just my observation as I talk to people. I hear more and more people, as more and more news comes out about the dangers of the vaccine and the side effects of the vaccine, and actually the death count of the vaccines, they're saying, I'm not going to get it. And further, when you look at the Omicron, and what's the new variant of the Omicron called? I can't remember what they've called it, but... It's a, it's a bad cold. At best, it's a bad cold. Some people get it and they don't even know they have it. There are, there are no symptoms. And for this, Fauci wants you to go get vaccinated and uh, blood clots are happening. Heart issues are happening. The CDC came out today with the new numbers for the kids and they, they continue to uh, have to adjust the numbers and the numbers are such that it's, it, is, it is no big deal for kids. Literally, it is no big deal for kids. By the way, Mitt Romney voted uh, to extend the mask mandate for kids in the Head Start program. Thank you, Mitt. We expect the Democrats to vote that, for that kind of stuff. But Mitt, come on. Carolina Journal is reporting yesterday Governor Roy said North Carolina state of emergency will continue despite declining COVID numbers. I mean, these authoritarians, they won't give up their power. It is Barney Fife on steroids. The announcement came during a news conference yesterday announcing the new guidelines to measure COVID-19 levels. Cooper has shifted responsibility for dealing with a pandemic to the General Assembly. He explained the move like this, quote, It's a legal tool that we are using to provide the flexibility that is needed. When when the legislature passes a law that gives the flexibility that is needed, then we will do away with it. Cooper speaking towards the um, state of emergency. What is he talking about? Flexibility to do what? To give you absolute power? That's what he wants. It's as if the governor thinks he and he alone singly possesses the wisdom to decree the solutions to pass down to you serfs as he receives them from St. Fauci. I mean, that's what it amounts to. Give me the flexibility that I will have the emergency powers whenever I feel like it. I mean, while the 
General Assembly is trying to cut off the emergency powers. I mean, you remember House Bill 264, that I think Keith Kidwell was one of the sponsors of, that would end his emergency powers. Uh, that passed, and he vetoed it. But while the General Assembly is saying, no, we're going to shut down your general, your, your emergency powers, when he says this kind of stuff, it, it, it appears that he wants to increase his ability to jump on these emergency powers and flex his authoritarianism whenever he wants. Uh, now, 69 GOP House members signed a letter calling on Cooper to rescind his order and allow the state to move forward. Cooper said, uh, well, the state is still actually facing an emergency. Even though the worst is behind us, even though we're turning a page, he said, we're still facing an emergency. Are we really? We're not facing an emergency. We're, we're facing a governor who wants to be the, uh, <laughs> the COVID sheriff and uh, dictate to people, when I say jump, you're supposed to say how high on the way up. Cooper said it's almost been a year since the state ended its statewide mask mandate and capacity limits for businesses. Students and teachers have been in the classroom all year, and in February, by the way, they just got their masks off in Big County just a few weeks ago. Students and teachers have been in the classroom all year, and in February 2022, Cooper encouraged schools to move to mask-optional policies starting March 7th with an increase in vaccinated and boosted people, he said. The state has entered the next phase. Quote, it's time to chart the new course. Cody Kinsley, the uh, state health secretary, said a new approach from his department regarding COVID will follow four core principles, empowering individuals, maintaining health systems capacity, collaborating uh, with local partners, and prioritizing equity. What do those mean? I mean, this sounds like a bunch of liberal gobbledygook to me, especially the prioritizing equity. What the heck does that mean? mean, You know, when you hear these Democrats say these things, it goes back to, uh, you know, Obama. I'm here to bring hope and change. But his hope and change means something entirely different than what he wanted you to think it meant. Prioritizing equity? What does that mean? And empowering individuals, that scares me more than any of them. Empowering individuals sounds good on the surface. It sounds like what he's saying is, okay, we want to give you the power to make your own decisions. That coming from a Democrat, that coming from someone in the Cooper administration, it is no way it means we want to give you the power to make your own decisions. I guarantee you, whatever it means, it doesn't mean that. So why he wants it to sound good on the surface, the details, and I don't know what the details are, but my hunch is they're probably alarming. Like uh, empowering individuals. Does it mean you will have the power to report your neighbors to the authorities? I wouldn't be surprised. The new metrics will begin appearing on the summary page of the COVID-19 dashboard on March the 23rd, and updates will go from daily to weekly. Never let a good crisis go to waste. That is the uh, mantra of liberals. 
as first uh, given to us by uh, the Obama administration, Emmanuel, what's his uh, last name, the uh, former Chicago uh, uh, mayor. But I'm sorry, empowering individuals, maintaining health system capacity, collaborating with local partners, and prioritizing equity. What the heck? Rahm Emanuel, yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Clark. On, on top of it there, Rahm Emanuel. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Lots more to talk about. Stay with us. Friday's edition of News and Views continues right after this. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Taking a quick look at your weekend weather forecast. Tonight, a slight chance of showers between midnight and 2 a.m. And, uh... Just 40%. There's also a possibility of rain early tomorrow morning. Otherwise, a Saturday will be partly sunny, high near 82. Boy, the weather was gorgeous out there today. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of showers again. Chance of rain is only 20%. Sunday, a little cooler, but lots of sunshine with a high near 66. So all in all, a pretty good looking weekend. So earlier today, the president got together on a secure Zoom call, I guess that's what you call it, video call with uh, President Xi Jinping, nearly two hours. Biden took the call, which started at 9.03 a.m. Eastern Time. The White House uh, Situation Room is where the call was conducted. The White House previewed the call as part of the administration's ongoing effort to maintain open lines of communication between the United States and the People's Republic of China. The White House said Biden and Xi would discuss managing the competition between the U.S. and China and Russia's war against Ukraine and other issues of mutual concern. The Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, after the meeting, said she underscored the severe challenges around the globe. Quote, the Ukraine crisis is something we don't want to see, the Chinese foreign ministry reported. Relevant events once again show that state-to-state relations cannot go to the point of confrontation, conflict, and confrontation are not in anyone's interest. Peace and security are the most treasured treasures of the international community. As a permanent member of the UN Security Council and the world's two largest economies, we must not only lead to develop of the China-U.S. relations on the right track, but also shoulder our due international responsibilities and make efforts for world peace and tranquility, according to the Chinese foreign ministry statement. U.S. intelligence officials said Russia asked China for military and economic aid following the invasion of Ukraine. In an attempt to protect intelligence sources, U.S. officials have been reluctant to detail what type of aid is being sought. A senior administration official said this week that the Biden administration has deep concerns about China's alignment with Russia amid Moscow's multi-front war against Ukraine. The official shared those concerns after the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met with his Chinese counterpart. We do have deep concerns about China's alignment with Russia at this time, and the National Security Advisor was direct about those concerns and the potential implications and consequences of certain actions. The official said without commenting directly to the reports that China had requested aid from China after invading Ukraine. The official, though, maintained that the Biden administration is communicating directly and privately to China about our concerns. China has yet to condemn the invasion of Ukraine. Listen, I, 
there's going to be a lot of positive talk by she when they're talking to uh to uh, the Biden administration, and the Biden administration is going to want to present the idea to the American people that they've got everything together, everything's under control, Joe Biden is in control. I'm sorry, I don't uh, don't look at any of these conversations, any of these phone calls. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that something positive will come out of them, but I'm doubtful. (laughs) I'm schizophrenic. I'm hopeful, but doubtful. The um, the Chinese, they do need one thing. We are their biggest trading partner. They ship, and so much of their economy is based on what they ship to the United States. Now, they ship throughout the world, but we're their biggest trading partner. And uh, while they need Russia, and while they're trying to tie themselves to Russia as an alliance, they do need the United States. And I think what they are seeing in Russia, the only reason that she would probably make this phone call, take this secure video call, is because he sees what's happening to Russia. And uh, Russia has uh, dug themselves a hole. They've dug themselves a big mess. And I don't care if uh, Putin does want to go have a big rally and his information propagandists say there's 200,000 people celebrating the invasion of Ukraine, uh, everything else we see coming out of Russia and coming out of Europe, um, paint a different story. And uh, the Russian army was supposed to have taken Ukraine in 72 hours. And uh, how many days has it been now? I mean, we're almost a month old. And still, uh, while Ukraine and their major cities are being demolished, they're still pushing back on Russia. They're still holding firm. PJ Media's Robert Spencer, who is the director of the Jihad Watch, he had an interesting op-ed piece in PJ Media. And uh, this, is, this is very, very concerning. And again, you have to ask yourself the question, what side is Joe Biden on? Is, is Joe Biden that unaware of what's going on around the world? Is he that naive or is he on the side of our adversaries? Robert Spencer writes, old Joe Biden watched Zelensky's address to Congress. Biden said that Putin is inflicting appalling, appalling devastation and horror on Ukraine, saying it's God awful. As a result, we're crippling Putin's economy and punishing sanctions that go on only that go on to only grow more painful over time with the entire NATO and EU behind us along with many other countries. Biden boasted that the American people are answering Zelensky's call for more help, more weapons, more tools to fight the Russian aggression. Biden insisted it's all about freedom. It's all sounding great. But he didn't mention one key detail, writes Robert Spencer. His handlers, their new nuke deal with Iran will give Russia $10 billion dollars. So who's paying for all of that Russian aggression? A large chunk of the cash will be coming from you and me, the taxpayer, the, the United States taxpayer. The Washington Free Beacon reported on Wednesday that Russia's top state-controlled energy company, Rosadam, is set to cash in on a $10 billion contract to build out one of Iran's most contested nuclear sites as a part of concessions granted in the soon-to-be-announced nuclear agreement 
that will guarantee sanctions on both countries that they will be lifted. Those sanctions on both countries will be lifted. Rosadam is set to work on the Bersher nuclear plant in Tehran, according to the Free Beacon. Russia and the Biden administration confirmed that on Tuesday that the new nuclear agreement includes carve-outs that will waive sanctions on both countries so Russia can make good on this contract. And so Russia will get $10 billion from Iran to spruce up one of its nuclear plants. And where will the money come from? According to Gabriel Norana, a former State Department official, they, this uh, individual explained that Iran is set to get access to a massive windfall of cash. The latest example, derived from figures declassified at the State Department, is $90 billion in access to foreign exchange reserves, and then a further 50 to $55 billion in extra revenue each year from higher oil and, and petrochemical exports, with no restrictions on how or where the money can be spent. Personally, the most troubling transfer of the funds will be $7 billion in ransom payments that the United States is preparing to pay for the release of four Americans from Iranian jails. These Americans are innocent victims who, along with their families, have suffered unjustly for far too long. But make no mistake, Biden's payment will only supercharge Iran's hostage-taking industries. Now, remember, under the Trump administration, he would not pay the ransoms. And yet Trump did get Americans released from Iranian jails. I mean, follow, follow the logic. Connect the dots. If you pay to free hostages, what's going to happen? More hostages are going to be taken. I mean, it's the basic law of supply and demand. So American taxpayers are going to pay $7 billion to Iran, along with a massive infusion of money from the removal of sanctions amounting to nearly $150 billion, and then Iran will turn around and send $10 billion to Russia. What will Vladimir Putin do with the money? He'll help finance his invasion of Ukraine. What will Iran do with the money? Again, they can spend it any way they want. They will continue their terrorist activities. I mean, their goal has been very clear. They want to take down the United States and they want to take down Israel. The United States should sanction Rosadam for its involvement in Russia's war with Ukraine. But in classic fashion, we're given, uh, we are giving them, the Biden administration is giving them full sanction immunity that will st stabilize Rosadam's finances. Providing Rosadam a guaranteed $10 billion lifeline right now is just another example of how the Biden administration is undermining all its anti-Russia rhetoric with hidden technical concessions that keep Putin and his cronies companies afloat. It's got to stop, says Robert Spencer. Well said, well written by Robert Spencer from PJ Media. Uh, now, to follow that up, the Free Beacon had an article earlier today talking about the fact that Senate Republicans are moving to bar the Biden administration from lifting sanctions on Iran that will allow Russia and China to build out portions of Tehran's civilian nuclear program, according to a copy of legislation obtained exclusively by the Washington Free Beacon. Now, recognize that the sanctions that were put there by the Trump administration because they, it was not, not, it was not an act. It, those sanctions that were not an act of Congress, the Biden administration can can remove. This bill, led by Ted Cruz and co-sponsored by 12 Republicans, comes one day after the Free Beacon reported on what I just told you about Rosadam. Cruz's bill would prohibit the Biden administration from waiving congressionally approved sanctions 
on this nuclear work. It would also reverse a February decision by the Biden administration to preemptively waive sanctions on Iran so that Russia and China can work on that nuclear project. Uh, Daryl Issa is authoring a companion bill in the House. Cruz, a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, said his bill would stop the Biden administration from circumventing Congress to issue sanction waivers that permit Russia to build uh, Iran's nuclear program. Um, this is um, th- th- this is why we need to make sure that the Republicans take the Senate and the House this November. I, the question is, will you have just a couple of Democrats come over and vote with Republicans on this bill? I think you probably will. I think you'll have uh, Joe Manchin come over, also the uh, senator from uh, New Jersey, um, uh, what is, uh, Bob Menendez. He, will, he has expressed opposition to the concessions. Uh, and I, I would ex- fully expect all the Republicans to vote for this. I mean, it could be it could be that once this information gets out and is made public. Now, unfortunately, you know, if you're not in tune to conservative media, you're never going to hear this because the mainstream media will never, never, ever tell you anything about this. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the Republicans are doing the right thing. And uh, again, we need to uh, take the House and the Senate. Uh, if we can have a fair election, I expect us to take it by a large margin, but we'll see. Hey, we're going to take another time out. Lots more to talk about. Stay with us. We'll be right back. show that really makes you think he is a genius he's all powerful he brought a kind of heat he could be the best just don't hurt yourself okay more news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 all right welcome back in now you might remember yesterday we covered the story that uh was out of the new york post but involved the new york times The New York Times finally came out earlier this week to confirming the Hunter Biden laptop story. And now many in the mainstream media and many in the Biden administration, including Jen Psaki herself, have egg on their face. But uh, one of the big questions is, okay, how is NPR that runs on taxpayer funding, how are they going to be held accountable i mean remember some of the things that they said npr reported about the original new york post story now again remember the new york post they came out with the hunter biden story before the general election took place and liberal media and liberals in general all poo-pooed the story remember this is this is going back This is cut one. This is going back to one of the last presidential debates before the election when the Hunter Biden laptop came up. Donald Trump brought it up. The moderator didn't. Donald Trump brought it up. And then they asked Joe Biden about the Hunter Biden laptop. Here's what Cousin Eddie said. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. 
They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> now, now, NPR and other outlets, but again, remember, NPR is taxpayer funded. They mocked what Donald Trump said about the laptop. They mocked it. And now the New York Times has come out and said, oh, 100% true. Oh, yeah, we verified it. They're saying now what the New York Post said prior to the general election. The New York, uh, I'm sorry, the NPR reported, quote, there are many, many red flags in that New York Post investigation. This is what they said at the time when the New York Post first came out with it. NPR correspondent David Fockel, uh, Fokelnfick, Fokelnfick, I'm not making it up, folks. I'm might be mispronouncing it, but it looks like Fokelnfick, uh, introduced uh, or said, brother, intelligence officials warned that Russia has been working overtime to keep the story of Hunter Biden in the spotlight. Even if Russia can't be positively connected to this information, the story of how Trump associates Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani came into a copy of this computer hard drive has not been verified verified and seems suspect. And if that story could be verified, the New York Post did no forensic work to convince con, uh, consumers that the emails and photos that are the basis for their report have not been altered. So NPR not only poo-pooed it, but they actually accused the New York Post of perhaps cheating and lying and altering the information to further the story. The biggest reason you don't you haven't heard much from NPR about the post story is their assertions that this doesn't go uh, this doesn't amount to amount to much. NPR further said, uh, "quote We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories." NPR said, "And we don't want to waste the listeners' time and the readers' time on stories that are just distractions." Yeah, distractions from your agenda, distractions from getting Joe Biden elected, NPR managing editor for the news, uh, Terrence Samuel, said, and quite frankly, that's where we ended up. This was a politically driven event, and we decided to treat it that way. Oh, yeah, it was a politically treated event. It was politically treated from you all, from you liberals, that you were bound and determined to make sure that nothing negative could be said about your beloved candidate, Joe Biden, or his family. You didn't want the truth to get out there because you knew if it did, as close as that last election was, and it was probably closer than what it actually was because of uh, shenanigans going on. But what if that story had been published? What if the truth had come out? What if you had not been so biased to make sure Joe Biden looked like he was a saint. And the Hunter Biden, oh, there's no sin there. Doesn't amount to much, really. So what part of the 10% for the big guy, a.k.a. Joe Biden, now the president of the United States, not to mention the rest of the contents on Hunter Biden's laptop, doesn't seem like it amounts to much, just before the 2020 presidential election. I mean, listen, I realize part of what was on there, you could say, well, that was his private matter. I mean, you're talking about the president having pictures of him with prostitutes, 
having questionable print, print, uh, pictures of him with minors, uh, obviously strung out on hard drugs, and you're saying it doesn't amount to much? I mean, how about blackmail? This guy is going to be the son of the president of the United States, and you don't think it amounts to much. So here's the big question that Town Hall asked, what accountability will NPR face? I mean, there have been conservatives out there for decades saying, why are we funding national public radio? Why are we funding this when people have numerous choices that they can make? In fact, listen, there are people all across the United States that, that pay for entertainment on TV, cable, Sirius, XM radio. They pay for that. If they want to pay for NPR, take it out of your pocket and pay for it. But why should the taxpayer have to be paid for it? Why? As if NPR is neutral. That's what I don't understand. They act like, oh, NPR is not biased. They have no agenda. That is the biggest bunch of BS you could imagine. Their agenda is loud and clear. If you ever needed evidence for their agenda, it is in this Hunter Biden laptop story. And and listen, their apologies, just like the New York Times apologies, are bogus. The next time they get the opportunity to make one of their candidates that some ultra lib look like they ought to be painted in a good light. Oh, they'll paint it in good light if it helps their cause, if it helps their liberal cause, their progressive cause. I mean, their apologies are worthless. They need to be defunded now. I mean, there, there's so many things. Why do why, over and over and over again, whether it's NPR or Planned Parenthood, why is it that we continue to allow or force, I should say, taxpayers to fund the left wing propaganda? I mean, the, the conservatives have to pay for their point of view twice. They've got to cut a check out of their checkbook and send it to their favorite organization in, you know, organizations like uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. I mean, there's numerous organizations out there that you ought to be supporting. But why is it that we have to pay for it out of our pocketbook, but at the same time, our taxpayer money that the government takes from us is also paying, but not for the, not for what we want to hear said, it's paying for the left's propaganda. Unbelievable. Hey, we got to take another time out. More news and views for a Friday right after this. A collection of question marks. A lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. By the way, Benny has not fallen off the face of the earth. It is uh, tax time. He's an accountant. Uh, He should be back next week inconceivable Uh, i know we miss you benny uh by the way following up on that hunter biden story jen saki was asked yesterday during the news conference about the new york times story a reporter asked the uh uh 
uh, the uh, press secretary about New York Times confirmation of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And uh, did she have any comments on it? Saki said, I would point you to the Department of Justice and also to Hunter Biden's representatives. He doesn't work for the government. And she basically just shut it down. Well, first of all, uh, I would say there is great relevance because of the relationship that Hunter Biden has with the president and the fact that the president, the audio we just played you in the last segment, the president during that debate was emphatic, was emphatic that this was Russian propaganda. But here's the uh, other question is she says he's not a government employee yet the White House is using taxpayer resources to manage his, quote, art career. (laughs) Oh, boy. Outkick is reporting Leah Thomas, formerly, what's his real name? Will Thomas, I think it is. Um, The swimmer for University of Pennsylvania. Thomas is uh, winning all kinds of events now in the national championships, NCAA national championships. And one of the least climatic moments in women's sports history, Thomas won the 500 freestyle national championship over a field of biological females. This happened down in Atlanta earlier this week. Thomas's time uh, was best of the season for Thomas ended up um, beating the second-place biological female, a Virginia freshman by the name of Emma Wynette, by just a few seconds. But um, actually, it was less than two seconds. Third place went to Erica Sullivan, who won a silver in the Tokyo Games. Brooke Ford won the silver in the Tokyo Games. She came in fourth under behind Thomas. So you have these champions medal winners that are losing to thomas who when he competed as a male wasn't really significant quote when i have kids i kind of hope they're all boys because if you have any girls that want to play sports in college good luck their opponents are all going to be biological men saying that they are women Thomas's teammate told Outkick in December, quote, right now we have one, but what if we had three on the team? There'd be three less girls competing. By the way, the uh, women's March Madness for 2022 has gotten underway. I mean, if this continues, what is going to, I mean, we're, we're going to have two sets of men's March Madnesses happening. And can you imagine? I know there's some great female athletes in in basketball out there, but can you imagine if the guys that can't make the men's team decided, well, I'll just identify as a woman and I'll play NCAA basketball before a national crowd? I, I mean, it's it's it is so absurd. It's as if a grown man or woman said, "I'm going to identify as a five year old. I'm going to go back to kindergarten and see if I can break all the academic records. I'll, I'll be the smartest five year old in the history of academics." And what's the difference of that than what Thomas is doing? And yet we have all kinds of wokies that say it's great. 
Thank goodness, yesterday, the Nonprofit Action Committee Concerned Women for America have filed a formal civil rights complaint under Title IX with the U.S. Department of Education against the University of Pennsylvania. Now, listen, I, I fully expect this to go nowhere, but it will make real clear where the Biden administration stands on this, and that is they will stand with the progressive transgender crowd. Talk about the war on women. This is something that the Republicans need to hammer away at, and they need to call it by the same terms that the Democrats have used against them in the past, a war on women. And listen, there's a whole lot more women in the world than there are transgenders. Again, I've said this numerous times. It was just a few decades ago. You take somebody like this Thomas character, and and they would... They'd either put them away or at least get them counseling. How can we help you? I mean, all you, all you got to do is uh, look down in your drawers and you can tell whether you're a man or a woman. And this idea that, oh, you can't, oh, don't question that. Oh, you can't go there. I mean, this is all, oh, this is, this is important stuff. You need to make sure that I'm treated as somebody special. Speaking of Wokies, Story out of the Free Beacon, more than 100 students at a Yale law, at the Yale Law School attempted to shout down a bipartisan panel on civil liberties, intimidating attendees and causing so much chaos that police had to be called in to escort the panelists out of the building. The March 10th panel was hosted by the Yale Federalist Society. Now, if you're not familiar with the Federalist Society, Federalist Society is a great organization, very conservative. Um, they are very much constitutionals. Uh, The event featured Monica Miller of the Progressive American Humanist Association and Kristen Wagner of the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, a conservative nonprofit that promotes religious liberty. Both groups had taken the same side in a 2021 Supreme Court case involving, involving legal remedies for First Amendment violations. The purpose of the panel... A member of the Federal Society said was to illustrate that a liberal atheist and a conservative Christian could find common ground on free speech. So what did all the Wokies do that showed up on a panel on free speech? They shut down free speech. It was pretty much the most innocuous thing you could talk about, one person said. That didn't stop nearly 120 student protesters from crowding into the event. When the professor at the law school, Kate Sith, began to introduce Wagner, the protesters who outnumbered the audience members rose in unison, holding up signs that attacked ADF. The nonprofit has argued and won several Supreme Court cases establishing religious exemptions from civil rights laws, most famously the Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission back in 2018. The fanatics got up and shouted down, And, uh, yeah, they threw in some F-bombs, and they shot the bird. They screamed and hollered. At one point, the moderator said, would you people please grow up? To that, they have now come out and called the whole event a hate crime. You can't make it up. Um, One comment that was made at the end of all this is, okay, these are our future leaders. These are future attorneys. These are future these are future uh, politicians. Uh, yeah, this is this is bad. If this is what our future looks like, 
this is scary. Hey, listen, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be back with you on Monday at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.